Hey, uh, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. Uh, please feel free to get up and uh, grab one. Uh, this is your first time with us. My name's Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. Uh, I will pray for us. We'll go ahead and dig in. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day and we are your people. God, I just thank you for the grace uh, that is in our lives, that you've saved us from ourselves to life in you, Jesus. I pray that it would get deep down in our soul today that the gospel, that you're coming and you're saving uh, is your idea. God, that we'd understand that, that the transformation you're working in our lives as we speak is your idea and that this people, this church, and the church is your idea, Jesus. Help us, God, to know that there's nothing we can do in there but trust and depend on you and on your cross and on your blood and on your resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, that we have life. Thank you, Jesus, that we have life. God, we pray these things in your name and for our joy, for your glory, Jesus Christ, amen. <clears throat> it's my hope and prayer as we dig in here today. Uh, the stuff that we're looking at, the meat of, of what we're looking at here in Hebrews um, would be things that, that interrupt the static of the day-to-day, that would be stuff in our life that helps us, uh, not just here when we come together on Sunday morning, but throughout the rest of the day to remember who's the king and who Jesus is and who we are because of him. Uh, today we're looking at three things. Uh, we're looking at God's idea, and the three things that are his idea that we're looking at today are that the gospel is God's idea, that transformation is God's idea, and that the church is God's idea. And when I, say that I, uh, when I say the gospel, I mean specifically the Christ event, that Jesus Christ entering into human history to save people to himself, that was God's idea, okay? The gospel, this message, this good news that Jesus saves sinners is not a human construction. Uh, it's not something we put together, and it's not even one of many flowers amongst many world religions on how we might get to God. Uh, it is the truth that God had to come down and get to us because without him we have nothing, and that God had to come down and get to us because he's so wonderful and so beautiful and so perfect. He had to stoop down for us, and that was his idea, not ours. His idea. Praise the Lord. Your transformation's his idea. Um, holiness, being more like Jesus, is not one of many self-help books on how you can be a nicer person. In the midst of your struggle, you need to know that your sanctification, God's movement in your life, changing you to be more like Jesus, that's his idea. That's hope. That's hope that it's his idea. And not only that, that this people... Um, it's not just a couple of people get together and think, oh, let's start a uh, Washington State 50C3, 501C3, non-for-profit, and we'll get a cool name because we live in Seattle and there's anchors there and anchors are in the Bible and that's neat and, and we'll think of all the cool ways that we can, th this thing, that the church, the idea of the church, that God's people, that's actually God's idea. That's God's idea. You need to know that Anchor Church was God's idea a long, 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 eternally long time ago. And that we just get to walk in it. Let's go ahead and dig into Hebrews. <clears throat> so we're in chapter 2, starting verse 10. 
So remember, Hebrews is this uh, amazing book uh, that shows us two amazing things. Uh, one, that the whole of the Bible, the whole of the story of history, really, uh, the, the, uh, the tendons and the sinew that hold the whole thing together is Jesus and what God's doing to bring Jesus about. And not only is, the, is he the thing that holds the whole thing together, he's also at the center of the whole thing. And that's what he keeps trying to show us. The author of Hebrews says, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than fill in the blank, right? So here we go in chapter 2, starting verse 10. Uh, and I will, I will confess, I was nervous to even try and do this one verse by itself today. So I hope the humbow's late. Uh, verse 10. Uh, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So top of the list, Bible reading tip that I keep coming back to because it's really important. Pay attention to the little words like he, him, right? For it was fitting that he, who's he? Now, this is the spot where you're... uh, Let's say your evangelical intuition is to say Jesus, right? Um, Which, in a sense, is always the right answer, except for here, it's actually God the Father. Um, For it was fitting that he, God the Father. So when when you're reading the Bible, um, something that we can do is we can miss how Trinitarian, how at work God the Father and the Holy Spirit are uh, in and with Jesus and what God's doing. Because we kind of just read it, and when it says he, we're just, oh, that's just Jesus. And so, for it was fitting that he... For whom and by whom all things exist. Okay, wait a second. Didn't it say in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 this summer? I can't remember who preached it, but one of our preachers preached it. Didn't it say that, that Jesus is the one that it's by him and for him all things exist? But didn't you just say that we're talking about God the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist? So which is it? Is it that all things exist for and by Jesus or all things exist for and by God the Father? Yes. God the Father creates creation. The Logos, the word that is spoken is Christ Jesus and the spirits there hovering over the waters there in Genesis 1. That God in, uh, in unity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, they create creation and it's their idea together in unity to create human beings as the apex of, uh, of God's creation. Um, so here we are. For it was fitting that for whom and by whom all things Exist. In bringing many sons to glory. A couple of things we have to address there. One, um, sometimes, sometimes we don't know what to do with the whole of the Bible. The 66 books that make up the Old and New Testament. Sometimes we don't know what to do with the Old Testament. Sometimes we don't know what to do with God in the Old Testament. And sometimes we do some weird stuff if we're not paying attention. And one of those things is um, that we can have this kind of mentality that says, well, um, you know, there's, there's Canaanites and there's Hittites and there's all this weird stuff that just feels foreign and weird. 
Because the Old Testament's actually written over like a thousand years, whereas the New Testament's written over a much shorter period of time. And we can kind of almost have the sentiment, uh, I don't understand Leviticus, and that seems like some other God. And there's even advocates that are saying, oh, it's a different thing. And, and oh, that maybe that was his like middle school years or high school where he's in his bedroom listening to Nine Inch Nails and Cranky. And then God kind of, we kind of have this idea. And then God evolves into this sort of Jesus thing. And we kind of create this kind of modalism where he's kind of God the Father in one spot and he's God the Son in this other spot. We don't know what to do with all the different stuff. And that's a problem. That's a big problem. One God, one Bible, God the Father over all time. Um, And and some of that is that we just don't spend that much time in the Old Testament sometimes. Because, you know, it's the Old Testament. And and you don't know what to do there. And as Christians, as, as even preachers, we can be uncomfortable. Like, I don't know. I don't know. But we need to be in there because it's where God is working. God is working through all these things because we miss the whole thing is bringing about Jesus who's going to save the whole world. The whole point of the Old Testament is, this is where you say the Sunday school answer, Jesus. Jesus is the whole answer of the Old Testament. He's the whole point of the Old Testament. Him coming. And whose idea is it in working this whole thing to save humanity from themselves before the foundations of the earth? God's, right? It's God the Son, God the Father, and God the Spirit, right? Because what did it just say? For it was fitting that for whom and by whom all things exist, in this case, it's speaking specifically of God the Father, in bringing many sons to glory. That this, the Old Testament, is God's plan to save a people from themselves to life for his glory and for their joy. That is the point of the Old Testament. And if you miss that, you won't be able to read your Old Testament because you don't know what's going on. You need Jesus to be the guide point. And the greatest thing about Hebrews is Hebrews is really helpful to help us understand how we're supposed to read our Old Testament. In fact, as we get into it, he's going to tell us, hey, look at Moses. See Moses. Hey, let's talk about Moses. Jesus is better than Moses. That's how you read the Old Testament. But I digress. That's next week or some weeks in the future. But you need to see this. So it's not just Jesus' idea. It's not just Jesus going to God the Father and saying, could we please save some people? Could we please save them? Because they're one, right? They're one. For it was fitting that for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory. Who's bringing many sons to glory? The Father. Through the Son. By the Spirit. It's a Trinitarian activity. The Gospel is God's idea. Human beings break everything. God in Trinity has the idea to restore what we have broken He takes broken things and he fixes them. And that brings him glory and that brings him joy. That's joy too, I might add. Now, in bringing many sons to glory. uh, The word sons here is interesting. Uh, Is it just guys? No. Um, The Apostle Paul is going to do this in Romans 8 too. It's subversive. We, We miss it because we don't understand the time and the place in which they're living sometimes. It's actually subversive. Okay, uh, we look at the Bible and say yeah, men and women are different and they fit together like a puzzle piece and God uses them in his body for all these different things and we've got different things we do and all this stuff. Uh, so why doesn't it say, you know, brothers and sisters or even this word here, brothers, which we're going to see in a minute, that can easily be translated brothers and sisters. Why did he say sons? Why didn't he make clear sons and daughters? Why is he bringing many sons to glory? Because in first century Palestine, sons were the only people that counted Ladies didn't count. So ladies, he's calling you a son. Because you are an image bearer of God. 
uh, uh, he's not, this is not in any way, short, shape, or form, not saying you're a lady, but what he's saying is you're in the family. You're an inheritor. In first century Palestine, you would inherit nothing. You are as in the family as anyone else. Together, we are in the family of God. Men and women different. Here, saying sons. Because you're in the family of God. You're an image bearer of God. You're in the family of God. You're no less than the guys. That's why he's saying sons. It's subversive. And that's also why it needs to say sons. That's why you don't change that. People change these things because it makes them uncomfortable. If you change it, you miss it. You miss what he's saying. In bringing many sons to glory. What does it mean, many sons to glory? This gospel Christ event. What do we see in the book of Revelation? Every tribe and tongue. Every person or every type of person and people group are represented in the kingdom of God forever. Praise the Lord. This is God the Father who we're talking about. It's his idea here that we're talking about. Now hear this. Should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This is where you should stop and say, wait a second. Uh, Jesus is the second member of the Trinity. I thought he was perfect. What do you mean he made made him perfect through suffering. This is why we've got to read our Bible slow. Here's the deal. You can't add anything to God, right? He even says it. This is good news, right? What does God need made by human hands? What does he need that you bring to God? What is God lacking that you should bring him something? Uh, you don't go to the old country buffet and bring him a plate full of food, and he's like, oh, thanks, I needed that. I don't think anyone needs that, but if that's your thing, you're free in Christ. You're free in Christ to go to the old country buffet, but I'm just saying, he does not need you to put him together a plate of leftovers. He's God. He's lacking nothing. So what does it mean uh, that he was made perfect through suffering? We're talking about Jesus here. What does it mean that he was made perfect through suffering? Uh, think in the same word that we had at the top, for it was fitting. The gospel plan, the gospel idea was a good idea. It was God's idea. It was the perfect idea. The way he has done it is the way that brings him maximum glory. Okay? It's him working in broken things and making them beautiful. Praise the Lord. That's the plan of creation. That's what he's doing. So what does it mean that he was made perfect through suffering? Uh, it means, think, think more like um, fitting, um, fulfilling um, right that Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, would enter into human history in an unexpected way as a baby. Live a life that everyone was missing. They're, they're missing that God is doing something amazing. There's, there's moments, right? You get these cool songs in the beginning of Luke. You get... Uh, you get this, this gal who's just waiting at the temple for, for the Messiah to come. He's there. She, she didn't miss it. And the, uh, the old guy, Simon, oh, finally Messiah's here. Finally God's doing, finally God's going to wipe every tear from every eye. He promised it would happen. He promised I would live to see it. And Mama gets it for a minute. Mama has a beautiful song. And then there's that scene in Mark chapter 3 where the whole family shows up and they're like, Jesus, you're crazy. Come home. They missed it. And then the Pharisees say he's demon-possessed, and they missed it. And then uh, Peter, my favorite, right after Peter says, oh, you're Messiah, you're the one who's going to come and wipe every tear from every eye. That's 
There's a little more than he says. But he says, oh, you're the Christ. You're, you're the son of God. And then like a second later, he's like, uh, Jesus, this whole cross idea uh, that you've got, um, this whole dying Messiah thing, uh, suffering servant, Isaiah 53 jam you're working on, Psalm 22, I don't like it. Uh, it's a bad idea. And I think we should think of another plan, Jesus. And what does Jesus call Peter in that moment in time? Satan, get behind me, Satan. Oh, jeez, goodness gracious. So that's his homie, right? Like, that's his buddy. That's a guy who's walking around with Messiah for three years and he doesn't get it. Mama gets it sometimes, doesn't get it. Brothers don't get it at all. Sorry, guys. Probably the sisters don't get it. His brothers and sisters don't understand what's happening. Uh, We miss it. But it's through this, this reality, his incarnation and his death his death to save us, to pay the price for sin, all of our wrongdoing, every wrong thing we've ever done, every right thing you've ever done for the wrong reason, every good thing, every time there was something happening outside and you should have called 911 because someone was stealing your neighbor's garbage can and you didn't. Call 911, right? You be a neighbor. Uh, Pull the shades close. It's uncomfortable out there on my street. Paid for it all paid for it all. This is his idea. He was made perfect through suffering. Uh, It it was the fulfilling. He was already perfect in that sense that he was perfect and lacking nothing, but that he came, and this is how he chose to do it. He came to bleed and die for the church to save sinners to life, and it was God's idea. This is not some human myth. It's not some story we cooked up 200 years later. It's the event in which Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and it was God's idea. Your redemption is God's idea. You being washed clean from all your sins is God's idea. It was his idea to send his son. Five things we need to see, I think, in this. Five things. How, how do they do, does it mean fitting, perfect, not in a lacking way, but in a, in a fulfilling kind of way? Um, so Jesus was perfectly obedient. You and I don't live lives perfectly obedient. I know what I'm supposed to do, and I don't do it, and there's things that I want to do and I can't do. Just Romans, right? It's the remix, but it's not a big remix. It's like one of those little remixes where you're like, is this really a remix? Or is this just selling more CDs? It's not verbatim, it's what it is. I don't do the things that I want to do. I can't, do the, I can't stop doing the things that I don't want to do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? This is where you have the Sunday school answer, Jesus. Right? Who will deliver me? Jesus will deliver me. That was really hard. Almost did the thing I do in the coffee shop where I hit the table when I'm excited, and all the things shake, and it returns over and looks over. What is that guy mad about? And it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> And everyone's like, I'm not going to coffee with that guy. Um, But in his perfect obedience, obedient, Philippians 2 tells us, to the point of death, we have what has been called by theologians the great exchange. His perfect life for my jacked up, broken, uh, not doing the things that I want to do, doing the things I don't want to do. God takes his life for my life, his death for my death. He dies so I don't have to. Jesus came and died so I don't have to. Jesus came and died so I could have life. The God of the universe, the author of life, came and died so you could live. What? <laughs> Whose idea was that? The Father's. It doesn't make sense to human beings. Only when the Spirit's moving, you're like, oh man, God is amazing. 
Because that is not a plan a human being would cook up. I mean, Jesus even says that, right? Yeah, okay, you might die for a good dude. You might, you, might, you might push a Nobel Prize peace winner out of the way of the bus, but come on, dog, you don't die for bad dudes. Jesus came and died for bad dudes and not the Nintendo video game. The great exchange. Not only that, but he's the second Adam. Adam broke it. Jesus came to fix it. Jesus is the perfect Adam. Adam wasn't the perfect Adam, it turns out, even though he was first. Uh, it was God's idea that he would come and undo what Adam did. Sin comes through Adam, life comes through Jesus. Praise the Lord. His idea, gospel. Uh, number three, he drank the cup so we don't have to. This way God can be perfectly just and perfectly loving. Because here's the amazing thing about God. He doesn't sweep anything under the rug. He doesn't sweep anything under the rug. There is nothing that goes undealt with in God's program for justice. We love mercy when we love mercy. We love justice when we love justice. I've used this one before, but it really, really is fitting if you drive anywhere in the Pacific Northwest. You're driving along the road. Somebody's speeding. They're swerving in and out. There's one guy in his car, and he's in the carpool lane, and you dial 764-HERO. I see a guy. He's by himself. He's got a mannequin in his car. Sick him. <laughs> we love justice, except for when we're the ones who are speeding, right? How, how quickly do you pray to the Lord Jesus Christ when you're going 75 and a 60 and you see a stater? Oh, God, please, if, if you would just let me off this one time, uh, if that guy won't pull me over, uh, please, Lord Jesus, I promise, Jesus, I'll never sin again. I won't ever speed again uh, here in the straightaway. Please, Lord, because we love justice when we love justice. We love mercy when we love mercy. But here's the thing. God is perfectly just and lets nothing go undealt with. And yet he's the one who loves us. He's the one who loves us first. He's the one who loves us before you clean your life up. He's the one who loved you before you put on your Sunday best. He's the one who loves you before you know enough to pretend and hide and try and make it seem like you're not sinning, right? He loves you before all that. He loves you in your sin. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Why can he love you, Christian people? Because of his idea, the cross, because he's dealt with everything. He drank the cup so you don't have to. The business end of God's justice on the cross in your place for his glory and for your joy. This is the gospel and it's his idea. so that he can look at you and say what he said about him. This is my son or daughter. He didn't say daughter, remix. I want to include you. Whom I'm well pleased. It's his idea. It's his idea that you would live a life pleasing to him because of the cross. Oh, man. Perfect through suffering. We're going to dig into this deeply in Hebrews. Um, not only did he pay the price for sin, he came into a broken world. He had to be made like his brothers in every way so he could relate to us. Because he knows what it is to struggle. He knows what it is to be in pain. He knows what it is to have friends die. He knows what it is to be tempted. He knows because he came. And he knows in a way that he's the perfect high priest in a way that, um, that he wasn't lacking in that. He's God. He knows everything. But that he came and he and can relate to us in a tangible and real way. And I honestly think that's more for us than for him, to be totally honest with you, because he's perfectly God, right? So that you know when you go to him, he can say, I know. He came to bring life. He came to bring life, number five. 
He did this to bring life. He settles the score on the cross to bring life. It is finished. He came to bring life. So um, when you have children, as I do, three out utero, one in utero, four, three here, four. I know how you count that, right? Four to me. I have four children. Um, it turns out that means that sometimes date night is at my house. And when date night's at my house, I play Monopoly with my wife. And it's lots of fun, and we love it, and it's great. Um, but it turns out when you're playing Monopoly, uh, you can get really, you play Monopoly, you get, you get mortgaged, you know, you land on Boardwalk again, and then you're like mortgaging out all your stuff, and it's upside down, and you're underwater, and it's not going well, and it's a stupid board game, and there you are, and you're bummed out, and you finally get all the stuff out, because you got your slums on that one road, and you finally pay for everything, you get everything out, and then you land on Boardwalk again, and you're back in. Um, sometimes I think we can approach the cross as if it's Jesus coming and paying to get Boardwalk paid for, and all the cards get flipped over, and you start over again but then you're just going back around the board game. Better not land on stuff. Better not fall into debt. By that, you better not sin again, because if you sin again, then you're in sin debt to Jesus. Here's the deal. It's finished. It's paid in full. It's done with. It's dealt with 2,000 years ago on the cross of Jesus Christ. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Did I lose you with Monopoly? Right? It's a different game. It's life. He comes, he pays the debt, and you get up, and you go do something else. Right? Go do something other than Monopoly. Because it's not about paying anymore. It's about being even Stephen with God to life. Okay. Let's keep going. Verse 11. Oh, man, this one's good. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Or if you're in the ESV, there's going to be a little footnote down below. And say, all are of one. All have one source. You're one. God the Father, God the Son are one. If I abide in you, and you abide in me, is what Jesus says. He says things like, I am the light of the world, and you are the light of the world. How is it that we can be, how can he say that? Because did he, did he miss it? Well, Jesus, you said you're the light of the world, and he said, I'm the light of the world. If he's the light of the world, how can I be the light of the world? Just like he's the head and we're the body. Your transformation, your sanctification, you waking up this morning and wanting to be different than you were or or are when you wake up, you wanting to be kinder or gentler or less selfish or whatever that might be, is God's idea. You changing is God's idea. The fact that uh, a uh, 15-year-old goth kid who... um, would have painted his whole room black if his mom would have let him get away with it. Uh, Selfish, rude, self-centered, hating Jesus, uh, 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 only caring what I could get out of the world. How in the heck am I standing here? Wasn't my idea. (laughs) My idea was to hang on, kicking and screaming, while the firemen tried to pull me out of the building. That was my idea. Me changing, me being different. I mean, even I mean, you got to understand this, right? If this is a human scheme, then we've got to come in here and figure out how we can do the sort of spiritual push-ups to be better, to meditate more and try harder and do this other thing more and this other thing more and this other thing more and this other thing more. Your efforts aren't the thing that are going to do it. It's God who does it. And it's God who even empowers those efforts. Yeah, 
We want to be people who war against our sin. We want to turn from our sin and we want to turn to Jesus. We want to take everything in us that wants to be selfish and self-centered and nasty and point it at our sin rather than other people. That's called war. You make war against your sin because your sin is the thing that gets you gets in the way of your life of joy with Jesus. So you need to see that, right? It's not that I need to be kind because Christians are supposed to be kind because that's what the Bible said. I want to be kind because kind is other-centered. When I'm not kind, I'm self-centered. When I'm self-centered, it's about me. And when it's about me, all I get is me. And frankly, I'm a little sick of myself. When it's about him... When it's about others, when it's not about me, when he transforms me more and more to be about him and others, I have joy and I have him. And so the point of my sin is not sinning. The point of my sin is turning from myself to Jesus. The point of it is, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives through me. The point is that it's not about me, it's about him. Because there's no more joy in life than enjoying Jesus Period. I'm even selfish about it. I want joy, which means I want Jesus. Because I'm kind of boring. But here's the deal. It's his idea. He's at work in you. And even, I mean, I need you to know this, right? Has it ever felt like he's not at work in you? Have you ever felt stuck Here's the good news. He's not a God of feeling. He's a God of truth. And he's made a promise. He's at work in you for his will and good pleasure. That he loved you before you loved yourself. And even sometimes it's wild, right, in sanctification. When you go for a long period of time, you just feel like there's no change. And then in one moment, you look back down the pipe and you realize, I don't feel like I changed a lot, but I see all the things God did to bring me here. Oh, praise the Lord. It's his idea. Praise the Lord. The, the, the simple stuff of sanctification, getting your eyes off yourself, eyes on him. Guess what? That's not like in Pastor Andrew's cookbook of sanctification, right? Ten ways to be a more holy person by the end of the year. No. Uh, 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 uh. I've got no advice for you there. I'll tell you the word was his idea. I'll tell you prayer was his idea. I'll tell you the cross was his idea. I tell you that the Holy Spirit indwelling you Christians is his idea. I'll tell you that he is the one who's going to bring this good work in you to completion is his idea. The redemption of all things is his idea. It's his idea, friends. And we lose sight of that so quickly. But we're one. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives through me. Oh, man. It gets better and better. Here we go. This is why he is not ashamed to call them who's them brothers or brothers and sisters. Greek, no problem. Who's he? Jesus. Who's the brothers? Who's the family? Right? You, me. You're in the family of God because of the cross of Jesus Christ, and that's his idea. Because no one ever thought that was, here, let's cook up one, let's get in the family of God. Even when Jesus was talking, everyone was like, what are you talking about? He's holy and we're not. You are now because of the cross of Jesus Christ if you put your faith and trust in him. That is why 
he is not ashamed to call them brothers. The church is God's idea. This people that he's not ashamed to call family is God's idea. It's Jesus' idea. Here's, here's what I mean. So it's his idea to save us. Who you are. So I just as I am is a great, amazing song. Just as I am without one plea. It's not really how we roll. Billy Graham used to play it. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. So hear this. Not ashamed to call them brothers. What does this mean? Um, John chapter 4. Now when Jesus, uh, skip to seven. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, asked for me, uh, to drink for me, a woman of Samaria? So she's a gal who's from Samaria. And there were guys who would sit, literally, when they were going to Jerusalem from Galilee, they thought Samaria was such a horrible country, they would go the long way, and they'd just go around. Right? He's going through. And she's here, and again, this is some of the stuff we miss. So it's daytime. It's hot in the daytime. This is a bad time to go carry lots and lots and lots of water. But she doesn't get to carry the water with the other ladies. She's carrying the water in the daytime because they probably, as we'll see, probably made fun of her or maybe she wasn't even allowed to be there and yet Jesus is there and he's talking to her. Um, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Let's skip down to 29-ish. Okay, so they have this conversation. Uh, she changes the conversation to be about worship, which is interesting. Uh, after he says in 16, uh, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and have him come here. And the woman answered to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, we're in 16, 17, uh, I had no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are now with is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And when he starts talking about her sin, like, can we talk about worship? Um, can we talk about organs versus, uh, you, know, um, you know, drums or whatever? Because I don't really want to talk about this. But he keeps talking to her and he keeps loving her. And, and finally, uh, in 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. Thanks, John. Um, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Okay, now what happens next? Okay, well, what happens next is the disciples come and uh, they get really confused uh, because they, they brought him food and then he says, I have, no food, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And they're like, okay, cool, why did we go to the store? Um, but down into 29. Pardon me. Thirty-nine. No, twenty-nine. I have a note there, and I have my note here. Twenty-eight. Just then, the disciples came back. They marveled uh, that he was talking to a woman, but no one—the woman, no one said, uh, "What do you seek?" Or why are you talking with her? Because they didn't want to, because they were embarrassed. So the woman, there it is. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, "Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. I've gotten good news 
Someone knows every single dark secret about my life. I've got good news that someone knows about the neighborhood that is my head. They know about my heart and they know how nasty of a human being I am. Do you want to come and meet him? No? Does he know about my neighborhood? No? He knows everything. Let's do it again. Uh, Luke. Chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, the super holy religious folk, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, thanks Luke, um, when she leaned, uh, she learned that he, uh, he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair uh, of her head and kiss his feet and anointed them with ointment. Uh, now, when the Pharisee who had invited him, remember, super holy religious person, saw this, he said to himself, self, not out loud, said to himself, self, if this man were a prophet, he would have known, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Uh-oh. And he answered, say it, teacher, because I'm awesome. A certain moneylender, and he begins to tell him a story. So a dude comes into town, pays off some debts. One guy owed him 1000 bucks. one guy owed him 50 bucks. Who is more thankful for the guy who called off the debts? Well, duh, the guy who got 1000 bucks called off. Okay, great. Um, and he says this. You see this woman? And so, so what's amazing is that he said, if he knew what kind of a woman she was. Here's the thing where Jesus turns it on its head. He knows what kind of a woman she is. He does. Pharisee, you missed it. He knows exactly who she is and everything she has ever done. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, I know who she is, pal, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even gives sins? Only God forgives sins, BT-dub. This is a divinity claim. He's saying, I, I mean, we miss this sometimes. He's saying to everyone in the room, I am God. Because only God forgives sins. Don't ever think that Jesus doesn't say it. We just miss it. A lot. He says it all the time, all the time, and we miss it. Only God forgives sins. You can't save yourself, Anchor Church. You can't do anything to get God to forgive you for your sins. It all happened on the cross. He's the one who did it. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those are, okay. And he said to the woman, Oh man, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He knows exactly who she was. One more. 
Luke 23:32. Two others were at the crucifixion, BTW. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. I mean, let's not, let's not just make this a piece of furniture. God himself, the only innocent man who ever lived, is about to be killed as a criminal. Two others who were criminals, they were criminals, he wasn't, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, jeez, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, I don't have any time for that. 39. Just breathe it in. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, he knows who he is, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, what does he say to him? Sorry, Jack, you're a criminal. You don't have time to get down from the cross. You don't have time to make a list of the people you need to make amends for. You don't have a chance to go not watch R-rated movies and burn all your parental advisory CDs. Uh, You don't have a chance to do what Zacchaeus did, and he's awesome because he paid back everybody he knew, and he started being nice to everybody, and, you know, he was awesome. Doesn't say that to him, does he? He said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So if there was any confusion about the woman at the well, or if there was any confusion about the woman with the tears, which there wasn't, he knows exactly what kind of a cat this is who's dying next to him. He puts his faith and trust in Jesus, and this guy gets to be the first Christian in the kingdom. That's the church. That's Jesus' idea, not human beings' idea. Human beings are like, oh, you know, I said you were sorry, but I really need to make sure you pay for what you've done. Jesus' idea is to die in his place so he can have life forever in Christ. That is the church. That is God's idea. The church, that is God's idea. That's what the church looks like. Not the Sunday best cats, not the, I mean, hey, I I pray for my kids and for your kids to have the John the Baptist testimony that they'd be filled with the spirit in the womb and they'd follow Jesus all the days of their life and they wouldn't even remember when they met him. That's my prayer for your kids. That's a prayer for my kids. But even then, the church isn't built, that doesn't make them like perfect plastic happy people. Don't ever forget that. And that's not a boring testimony, BT dub. Why did I say BT dub like three? What am I? <sighs> YOLO. <laughs> um. <laughs> I 
but he meets you where you're at. The church, the church is made up of people who come to Jesus just there. The church is made up of people who bring all their darkness and all their junk and all their disaster and all their foolishness and all their mess and all their clutter that's in their heart and every wrong thing they've ever done. They bring it all to the foot of the Savior to be saved from themselves. And this is his idea to call them brothers. He is not ashamed to call them brothers. He's not ashamed to call the guy on the cross. I mean, I get the late, like, but that guy didn't do nothing. What do you mean you're going to call him your family? And that's your idea. So it's not that Jesus is looking around and doing interviews. You want to join the team? And it's not that he's like flying the helicopter and to drop the rope down on you in the rowboat and you grab it and you, you show him how rad you are and you, you try really hard and you grab it and you try really hard to climb up the rope and he's, he's pulling and you're pulling and he's pulling and you're pulling and he's pulling and you're pulling. You're dead on the bottom of the ocean. And he comes and he takes you from that place and brings you to life. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in the ways in which you once walked. Favorite but in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because it's his idea comes and gets us and comes and saves us from ourselves and comes and moves and brings us life. That rescue plan is his idea. The transformation in your life is his idea. This people of blood-bought sinner saints is his idea. Well, if it's his idea and I want in on that, how do I get in on that? What do I, I don't know anything about this. I don't, this is the first time I've heard of this thing. What's called the gospel is what it's called. Good news is what it means. And she's like, that sounds like good news to me. What do I do? <sighs> Jesus, save me. You can do it right in your seat. Jesus, save me. I want in. I want to know you. Save me, God. Turn from your sin and turn to him. And even if you're like, yeah, I don't know, but I want to know some more because this sounds like a good deal, but I'm not really sure. I'll tell you what. You're sitting in a room full of people who would love to hang out with you and ask any question you've got. You got, there are people here. We're called pastors. We love talking to people who don't know anything about Jesus, about Jesus, and we are not afraid of your junk. Uh, you don't have a question that's going to make us like hit the table and makes the loud noise of coffee and we get out and we walk away. Grab a Bible, read it. I know it's a paperback, right? And holy books are supposed to be like made out of leather or it's like supposed to be a scroll. But I'm telling you, in that paperback on the table are the words of life. Grab Matthew. It's in like the back two-thirds. Start reading. Read about Jesus. Hear about Jesus. Talk to somebody. Pray with somebody. You got a question we'd love to answer. You don't have nothing we don't want to answer. You don't have anything we're afraid of. And if you're a Christian and you're struggling and you're like, I just want to change. I just want to be different. I, I just don't want to respond like that next time. Why is it taking so long? Shouldn't I be glorified by now? Shouldn't I be without sin yet? And you can feel that way. And then you have kids and you're like, oh, never mind. Like, I was really, really wrong. I am selfish. Here's what you need to know. It's not about you trying harder. It's about you trusting more. Um, or trusting, I should say. Because if this is God's idea of the church, the gospel, 
Sanctification, this is God's idea. This means it's all of grace. Everything about your life in Christ, everything about your Christian life is a gift. And that's all of grace. The Christian life is not about you being better, stronger, or faster. It's about you depending on Jesus to change your life. And he's done that, right? If you're a Christian, he's changed you. You were on the bottom of the ocean. Do you think of the guy who came and got you from being dead on the bottom of the ocean? You think you can't handle, like, your smoking problem? You're free in Christ to smoke, but man, I'm just using it as a... You think he can't deal with that? He can't, he can't deal with your speeding problem? Right? He can't deal with your... He can't deal with you? The guy who came and got you from the, the bottom of the ocean, who came into the neighborhood that is your head, he can't deal with you? Try again. Try again. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. You're not ashamed to call us brothers. Almost everybody in the room has someone in their family, if they were asked about them, would give a caveat. And you don't give a caveat. You say, that's my family. You don't give a disclaimer about me when you're asked about me. Yeah, I know that guy, but... You don't do that because of the cross, because of your blood, because of life. Jesus, I pray that we would live so excited that we're forgiven for our sins today and so excited to embrace the life you've given us and so excited to embrace you as our joy. Help us, Jesus. We love you, God. Pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.